0: Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cam, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios here in Morristown, New Jersey. We're getting a little bit off our normal posting schedule. This episode would normally post on Tuesdays when we do our real estate episode, but it's posting today, Sunday, June 20th, which many of you may know is Father's Day, which may or may not give away who my guest is today. Uh, He spent almost 40 years in the title insurance industry, 40 years, that's a long time. Uh, he's the grandfather, basically of the morning spotlight. If the morning spotlight is my baby, he is Gary Ham, my dad, dad,
1: welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Great <laughs> to be here. It's hey, so
0: great I- to have you on.
1: Hey, Mike, before we get started. Yeah. A couple things. Okay. One, you always introduce yourself as the coolest guy in title insurance. Right. Did you talk to mom before you tagged yourself with that? <laughs> that she thinks I'm the coolest guy in title insurance.
0: Uh, if we can get mom in here, um, she may say otherwise, but I mean, not available. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, if, if you got me into title insurance, so thank you, I guess. Um, and <laughs> really took the mantle. Somebody's got to take that torch. You can't carry the torch forever. The torch must burn on. And here I am hopefully carrying that torch for hams in the title
1: insurance industry yeah. moving forward. I get it. But if you're going to use a superlative, you know, coolest. Why don't you say the cool guy in title insurance? The coolest guy is right here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out about that. So The other, the other is, no, like this,
1: what episode is this?
0: Uh, this is going to wind up being close to 90, I think. or uh, Actually, it's going to be 84. 84. 84. Yeah. So this is the 84th episode. This will be the 84th episode that we post of this
1: show. So, it took you 84 episodes to get the old man on the show. Well, it just coincided so well. It's Father's uh, Day. Okay. I uh, mean, well, I'm uh, glad like, to be here, Michael.
0: Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you here and we can get started here, I guess. So,
1: we already uh, got started. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Well, we're started. We're rolling right now. But um, so tell me, uh, Obviously, I know a lot about you. I've known you for almost 31 years now. Uh, so let's, let's go back. Let's, let's learn more about Gary Ham, the child, because obviously I didn't know you back then. So you you're born in Newark, right?
1: Newark, Beth? I was born in Newark. Uh, first five years of my life, I lived in East Orange. And then uh, we moved up to Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Right. In 1960, 61. I was born in 1956.
0: Gotcha. So what Beth was Israel what was hospital in Newark? What which hospital in Newark? Beth, Beth Israel. Beth Israel Hospital in Newark. Amazing. It's still there? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so tell me, like, what was childhood growing? Like, what what things shenanigans were you getting yourself into as a kid growing up in Pompton Plains?
1: Okay. See, you asked me before. Like, were, are there any questions that are off limits? Well, any incriminating questions would be off limits, Mike. Yeah. Right? So shenanigans, uh,
2: you know. Okay.
1: Shenanigans, not much. All right. (laughs) Let's just say that, uh, you know, growing up in Pompton Plains was it was a a, uh, suburban environment. Uh, Maybe a blue-collar town, I would think. Um, A lot of sports. Sports was basically uh, what we grew up on. Sports, riding bikes and going up into the mountains and fishing and and stuff like that. So that was a a pretty much day-to-day agenda for me.
0: Yeah. And then, I mean, you, we, I grew up in Paquanic or Pompton Plains, Pequannock area my whole life. So, I mean, obviously I know what that was all about and, you know, good town to grow up in and baseball and everything. So, um, kind of like, so you went to Holy Spirit school, right. And then Newman prep for high school.
1: No, yeah, well, I started at um, kindergarten. I went to North Boulevard school, public school. Okay. And then for uh, grammar school, I started at Holy Spirit, the Roman Catholic school, for two years. Right. And then um, Our Lady of Good Counsel was another Roman Catholic church that opened up uh, in, in Pompton Plains uh, within the same town as Holy Spirit. Right. Anybody that lived in the jurisdiction of Our Lady of Good Counsel that lived in Pompton Plains was transferred from Holy Spirit to Our Lady of Good Counsel. So that was third grade. So the way it worked was. Our Lady of Good Counsel started with first, second, and third grade. I was in third grade, so I was always and it, it moved up every year. Right. So I was always in the highest grade of, of Our Lady of Good Counsel. Graduated there, uh, and then went to Newman Prep.
0: Gotcha. And then from there, you went to Scranton. So it's you have like a uh, just as a curiosity type thing. So like you you went to you know Catholic um, you know private school growing up. Newman Prep is a Jesuit. What was a Jesuit school, right? Or was Not- it a? No. That was Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic, Roman And then Catholic. Scranton's a Jesuit school. Yeah. So uh, was, what was that experience like going to those types of schools? I mean, I'm sure you had nuns and priests and stuff like that as teachers, um, you know, kind of like, what, what was the vibe like that, uh, vibe, you know, growing up in that environment, you know, obviously probably discipline well, was a, was a, a primary thing, right? Well,
1: yeah. Uh, discipline was uh, pretty key in, in grammar school with the, uh, but the nuns, we had uh, Franciscan nuns in um Lady of Good Counsel. So um, <clears throat> I think out of all the teachers there are Lady of Good Counsel, maybe there was only three or four lay teachers. The rest were the okay. Um And that was co-ed. So other than the fact that you were being taught by nuns and they were more strict than your public school, Uh, and you would get smacked on your knuckles from time to time uh, for shenanigans.
0: Those are the shenanigans, for sure. And obviously, you never got smacked on knuckles because you did not engage in any shenanigans. Duh.
1: No. I got smacked on the knuckles, and I got smacked in other parts of my body with bigger boards than a ruler by the nuns. Okay. But here's the deal. When you went home and told your parents that you got hit by, you know, sister so-and-so, they wouldn't complain. They would say, "Well, I guess you deserve it." Right. And turn right. the page. Right. Um, and then when I went to uh, Newman Prep, you know, that was a little bit of, of, of not a culture shock, but a, a different environment because it was all boys. Right. Okay. It was all boys, um, and there weren't any nuns um, except for Sister Joan was the, the vice principal, but she wasn't a teacher. Um, and they had a few priests that were teachers. Um, and they were pretty strict disciplinarians. Um, so it was different, you know, going from a co-ed environment through eighth grade and then an then the all-boys school. Uh, so the shenanigans kind of increased with, you know, the all-boys school.
0: Right. Well, yeah, less, a, little, a little bit less discipline, more, you know, just more stuff to get, kind of get yourself involved with.
1: Correct. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, University of Scranton at the time <clears throat> had just turned co-ed, I think maybe three or four years prior to my starting there, my freshman year. Yeah. That been prior to that, at some point, all boys and prior to that, I think a seminar. You know, so um, getting there, and when I got there, they you know in your class, I forget how many kids were on our class, but we had very few young ladies in the class.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so um, I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, you know kind of the the path from going from you know Pequannock, Pompton Plains growing up in that area, you know, going through those schools, and then you get to Scranton. Um, did Grandma and Grandpa, your parents, go to college, or were you the the first one to go to college? I was the first one
1: to, to go to
0: college. Right, and was that something that they were just like, "You have to go to college"? I mean, no doubt about it.
1: Well, yeah, but I think you know, you're talking you know in the early '70s and. You know, that's pretty much every parent had that same outlook. You know, right. Going to college. Yeah. But there was no question about it. No matter whether you had gone to public school or Catholic school, you were going to college.
0: Yeah. Just because they wanted you to have, I mean, I guess maybe like a, a better life or set up well, for better opportunities yeah. down, the, down the road.
1: Well, that was, you know, the goal, and even obviously for every parent, is to you know, hope that your kid reaches a higher level of education or, 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 a station in life than, than you have. Right. So yeah, college was obviously everybody's goal, but don't forget, you know, back in that time period, I think the tuition for room and board at the university of Scranton was either 3000 or $3,500, <laughs> you know, all included, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like a nice vacation. I, mean, yeah. I guess it's all relative, but right. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how did you, how did you, how did you find, uh, pick University of Scranton? Um, because yeah. obviously there was a lot of schools in New Jersey to go to. Did you want to get a little bit further away from home, but still be within, you know, close distance? Uh, was there a reason why you picked Scranton?
1: Well, you know, th- there was a career center at, 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 at Newman Prep run by a priest uh, and pretty much all the schools that came in uh, to recruit were Catholic schools or the military schools. You know? so. Um, I think when I applied uh, to colleges, it was the University of Scranton, which was mm-hmm. Jesuit. Uh, Notre Dame was Catholic, right? Uh, Seton Hall was Catholic. Providence was Catholic and Villanova was Catholic. So these are all Catholic schools that I applied to. I don't think I applied to a, a non-Catholic school. Gotcha. For whatever reason. I mean, that was because they were the, the folks that were recruiting within the school.
0: Right, yeah, which, which I think makes sense for sure. Um, all right. So, so you land on Scranton. Tell me what the, cause I I've been to Scranton uh, a couple times in my life. I mean, I watched a Scranton Wilkesbury uh, Yankees game there once uh, we played in a regional when I was coaching uh, in Scranton. Um, but uh, I mean, outside, people may only really know Scranton from the office, uh, you know, stuff like that. So what was the experience in Scranton? Like, I'll let you take your sip of your coffee first. <laughs> I should have kept talking. That's a bad Pro, that's a bad host move out of me
1: well here's the deal um i think the office is not too far off in terms of its portrayal of, of people of scranton people of scranton are fantastic yeah they're they're salt of the earth um you know and, and i had a great time at scranton the only problem with scranton is that it's a it's a former coal mining town and it's fair fairly dreary you know uh, right there are still you no know, coal mines up there that are abandoned or, or shuttered but it, um, it rains a lot in Scranton, so you're not going to get a lot of sun. Um, and there's not a lot to do except for the local pubs or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, I met a lot of great guys and gals from there. Right. I have, as you know, you know, uh, friends that I made at the University of Scranton that we still get together multiple times a year. And yep. graduated in 1978 and we're still going strong.
0: Right. And that's, that's, I think, I mean, from like I have the same type of thing, as you know, from TC and Jay. I mean, I have guys that I'm still super tight with. We're really good friends. And like you said, we see each other multiple times a year. And that's sometimes, you know, tough because, you know, you, you wind up going from Pompton Plains, New Jersey, to the University of Scranton, which is maybe like an hour away, right? An hour away. Um, like, yeah,
1: about an hour and a half.
0: Hour and a half. Yeah. So, you, you know, you get there and all of a sudden you just find mm-hmm. this little group of people that now you're, that, that just kind of helps shape you. I think. And it's it's good to have uh, friends like that because you know they're like like you said, super tight, nineteen seventy-eight to two thousand twenty-one. And you still you guys are still, you know, in contact, talking, all that kind of stuff, which is fantastic.
1: Right. right. It is good.
0: Yeah. So you were a, a business major, right, at Scran?
1: Okay, Mike. See I told you untouchable stuff subject I started as an accounting
0: major. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't know that. I never knew that until just now.
1: Oh, really? Really. So I was an accounting major. Uh, and uh, I was not a very good accounting major. All right. And I was playing baseball at the time. And I think it was my sophomore year I was in, I think the, the course was cost accounting. And it was an extremely difficult, of course. And you know how baseball works. I mean, when the schedule begins, you're on the road, I don't know, three or four times a week. Yep. Traveling around. Okay. In buses and... There's not a lot of time for study. <laughs> Forget weekends because weekends you're, you're playing. You can't study on the week. Yeah, right. Anyway, so I, I was not doing very well in Boston County, uh, and it was getting to the end of the, the year, and uh, I didn't think I was going to pass the course. So I <laughs> I asked him for a meeting with the professor, and I said, Professor, uh, here's a deal. I know that I. I, I Probably I'm not going to pass this course, but here's the reason why I missed a lot of classes because of traveling for baseball. Um, and I just haven't put the time in to study because I just haven't had the time. Right. If you give me a D as involved, okay, I will transfer out of accounting into business. Right. And he says, deal. <laughs> so I went from an accounting major to a business major. Uh, on a deal made with the accounting professor.
0: Right. For a D in an accounting class.
1: I got a D. And, and here's the, the beautiful thing. So that was my sophomore year. I got a D in accounting, the accounting. But I think I graduated with like a 3 7. Wow. So, you know, even that with that grade pulling me down, my GPA down, I was still able to rebound and, and do fairly well in business.
0: Right. And, and you mentioned you were also playing baseball because so, that was a significant part of your life too growing up. Right. And then obviously mine down the road, but for you, it was, you know, something, something also significant. So you played at Newman prep, you played your first couple of years, right. At, at Scranton. Um, And was, was that, did you meet like some of the guys that you have as friends now, were those teammates of yours or were they just more just schoolmates of Uh, yours?
1: One of the guys that um, is still my, my bud, you know, from Scranton, (laughs) I went to grammar school with, I went to high school with, and I went to college with And We played ball through grammar school and high school, he didn't play in college. Gotcha. But uh, other than that, the, the, the Scranton buddies that I have uh, did not play baseball. Gotcha.
0: Right. So then um, – Well, I'll yeah. well, just
1: re- restate that. You know, Paul, my best man, who, you know, yeah. who lived in Wayne and went to University of Scranton. He went to DePaul High School. Um, he played baseball.
2: Right.
0: So um, at some point in this uh, path of life, like you stopped playing baseball, right? I think it was after your sophomore year of college. And then when did the bodybuilding start? Because a lot of people that, I mean, there's a lot of people that listen to this show that had no idea when I show them like the the one picture that I have of you as a bodybuilder, they're like, holy, you know, like that's your dad. That's Big Gar. I'm like, yeah, that's Big Gar. Back when Big Gar was yoked up.
1: Well, here's the deal. You gotta say here's the deal. You gotta
0: say here's (laughs) that's gonna be the title of this episode. Here's the deal with Gary (laughs) (laughs) Ham.
1: So when I was in high school, um basically weightlifting was just starting to come into vogue in terms of sports enhancement and stuff like that. Uh, and this is before your time, but before free weights, everybody had what they call the universal gym. You know, it was a gym with all these different stations on it. So we had one at Newmarket. Um, I got into that in high school, and then uh, I convinced grandma and grandpa to buy me a set of weights from the basement, and I started lifting weights in the basement early on in high school. Um, when I got to college, then I had this huge, you know, weightlifting facility. Yeah, and I just continued. Um, the problem with it was that you know weightlifting and baseball are, are not shouldn't coexist. Right. Because as you, as you lift more weights, you get tighter. You can't throw the baseball as well. You can't swing as well. You lose your flexibility. Um, so uh, I basically weight-lifted my weight out of baseball. Okay, by my <laughs> sophomore year. yeah, uh, I could have kept playing, <clears throat> but I actually had more enjoyment lifting weights. And, and early on when I was lifting weights, I wasn't you know, bodybuilding. Right. I was just lifting weights to lift weights. And, because I liked the camaraderie with the guys and going to the gym every day. Um and that continued um, after I graduated. Um and then, you know, worked, as you know, up in IBM and you know, continued there and law school, whatever. Yeah. Were. Right. Uh, but we're, I, we're gonna we're uh, definitely gonna get
0: there. I well, just wanna okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Run, but yeah. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to know kind of like when when that fascination almost started. So it was kind of in high school, basically, and then yeah, it might have even
1: started like you know eighth grade or so around here. Yeah, there. I bet you if we went back to grandma and grandpa's house in the basement, those weights are still there. Yeah, but they were plastic coated weights filled with cement. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Was um like was this now? I just don't know. I'm just trying to put it into context. So you know, eighth grade, early high school. Was this was was that like Schwarzenegger time, was that when he was starting to get really big or was that
1: before that? That was was before Schwarzenegger. Right. Okay. Uh, When it was, Schwarzenegger had maybe just come to America around that time. Yeah. Right. But hadn't become the guy. In the early seventies, the early seventies, he started to, you know. Right. Be the man. Yeah. That's what caught, not just my attention, but everybody's.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon basically.
1: Yeah. For
2: sure. Yeah. <laughs> the movie. The movie yeah. The book.
0: Right. So um we we after college you start working at IBM in Binghamton. Yeah. Uh actually Endicott, New York. Endicott, New York. That's yeah. like right next to Binghamton, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Northwest of, of Binghamton. That was their first IBM's first manufacturing facility up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so right after uh, I graduated from college I, I got into IBM. And it's a funny story how I got that. Huh? Yeah, Did I ever tell you that story?
0: I, you just answered the phone, right? Yeah. There was like a phone down the hall because yeah. obviously there was no cell phones back then. There was a payphone, yeah. right?
1: It was a payphone. phone. So uh, they had a winter formal, which is like a, a winter prom senior year. Um, and it, I think it was in February. And I didn't have a date, so I didn't go to the winter formal. And it was either on a Thursday night or a Friday night, I forget. <clears throat> so, that morning, the next morning after the winter formal, <clears throat> the phone payphone down the hall <clears throat> is I lived in an off campus house, but it was owned by the university of well. And it, the payphone was on the landing on the second floor. My bedroom was right near the landing on the second floor. Yeah. Um, the phone, it's like eight o'clock in the morning, and the phone is ringing and ringing and ringing, and, ringing and it's not stopping. Okay, so finally, I just could I get up and I said, "Hello," you know, and and the woman on the other end says, "This is Mrs. So and So from Career Placement." You know, is Tommy So and So there? I go, "No, Mrs. Whatever, you know, Tommy's not here. I think he went to the winter formal last night and he's not home." Yeah. She says, "Oh, okay, because we have IBM on campus today for interviews, and I just had three people cancel, and we can't have that because IBM will never come back." So what's your major? I said, business. (laughs) She says, do you have a suit? And I says, yes. And she said, can you make it down here in a half hour? I said, I'll be there. So lucky for me, prior to my uh, senior year that summer, grandpa, my father, had taken me to Macy's to buy me an interview suit. And he said, listen, you need a... Blue wool blend pinstripe suit. Light pinstripe, not heavy pinstripe. Right.
0: You don't want to look like a gangster, like a, you know, exactly. a 20s okay. gangster.
1: We go to Macy's and he picks out a Hickey Freeman. A Hickey Freeman at the time, There's still a good suit. I mean, that suit back then, this is 1977, I believe. Mean. Yeah. It cost like $500 back then. Wow. $500. His wish in room and board it was 3500 <laughs> So that suit today was probably like a $3,000 suit. Right? Yeah so I get that suit and I put it on this is my first interview I put the Hickey Freeman on I got the black tie shoes white shirt solid tie I'm looking like an IBM young executive right walk down to campus I get there you know what's called the green room waiting to go in with get an interview and I look around and I see my competition I get one guy there he's got like a sport shirt you know jeans the other guy's got a Sport jacket and chinos. I'm like, no chance. Standard chance. <laughs> okay. I walk in with that suit. Next thing you know, a week later, I get a letter from IBM inviting me up for another interview. Okay. The problem is, when I get there, up at up at IBM for my first round of interviews, yep. the first manager I meet, he's looking at my resume. I still have my. I put that blue suit back on because that's the only one I have. Of course, know. yeah. And so he's going through my resume. And, you know, he said, I like you, he said, but let me ask you a question how did you get this interview? I go, Well, IBM invited me, I had an on campus interview, I guess I did well, and I got a letter from you know, human resources at IBM to come up for this interview. He goes, Yeah, he said, but I mean, you got like a 3 7 GPA, so we don't hire anybody less than a 4.0, and like you yeah, know, you could. The pin in the balloon, the air yeah. was gone. I'm like, oh, man, I just waste right. time. You know what I mean? Yeah. He goes, but you know, you never know. So long story short, I think there was four of us that got interviews at IBM. They actually hired three of us. Wow. The other three did were 4.0 students. Um, I wasn't. But the moral of the story is look good. It makes up for your GPA.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look good, feel good, interview good, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go. I mean, that personality, like I mean, everybody, anybody that's listening, obviously, you know where I get my personality, but obviously the personality in the suit puts you over the top, you know, and made up that 0.3 difference. That's, that's really that.
1: the name of the game. What are the odds, right? You don't get a date for the winter formal. Right. You're in bed, you know, eight o'clock in the morning on a Friday, Saturday morning. The phone yeah. is ringing, the payphone's ringing, and I'm the guy that answers it could have been somebody else answering the phone. Yeah, right. Right. In right? Yeah. And I'll tell you, after that, I got that interview. That woman from Career Services, she would always call me when guys were coming in for interviews. Yeah. See if I want, because she knew I'd be there. Right. She knew I would look good in that blue suit.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, there you go. I mean, you got to put the best face, best face out there for Scranton. You know, and then, and we've talked about it a lot on the show that there's a, a huge power in just showing up. You show up. You do lot. your thing and good things happen for sure. So, okay. how, how long were you working at IBM?
1: I worked at IBM for, for three years. Three years. I was in uh, what they call contract procurement. So, IBM up in Endicott was a manufacturing plant. There were certain processes that they didn't have the room to do within the structure of IBM. So, they would subcontract. That manufacturing work out okay. to different plants, manufacturing plants throughout the country. So it was my job to manage those outside manufacturing plants uh, and get the product back to IBM so yeah. they could assemble the mainframe computers that they were building. Up. Right,
0: and and IBM, like they were starting to take over the computer world at the time, right? Well, IBM was the
1: computer world. Was the computer world. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you got a job at IBM where you worked at IBM. I mean, you were like cream of the crop I mean, right.
0: was, well they only hired yeah. hire people with 4.0s or yes. uh, prospective bodybuilders with nice right. suits
1: well <laughs> and you know it's funny but the rule was i mean you did need to wear a certain suit that i be yeah it had to be a solid color suit it was either gray, blue or brown okay uh you had to wear a white shirt and a solid color top and tied shoes that wear loafers or anything. Yeah. I think three years after I was there, they started to relax the shoes a little bit and you could wear loafers, but you know, everything was quite as a drum.
2: Right. Which
1: fit me well because I had gone through, you know, parochial school, Catholic school, and yeah. I was used to the discipline. Right. That was IBM.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so three years at IBM doing what you were doing. Um, when you decided uh, to go to law school, what was the impetus behind that decision? Would you just looking for a change? you were trying to do something a little bit different. Uh, so why law school? Oh, well,
1: here's a dip. So that's number two.
0: Right?
1: So remember, it's, it's way, way more. It's, I don't. I don't know if you've been counting. Well, well, but well, it's well,
0: way more than two.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. So early in our conversation this morning, I mentioned Paul, my buddy from Scranton who played baseball. So, yeah. Yeah. He was also my roommate at the University of Spain. He had done, was in law school. So one day, you know, he calls me, we're talking, and I'm up in IBM and he's out in Springfield, Massachusetts, at Western New England College, School of Law. And he goes, you know, he goes, I think you would do well in law school. Because you should come, come to law school. So why wouldn't I go to law school? We got a good job here at IBM. You know, people would kill to get this job. Right. He yeah. You know what the heck?
2: You know, why
1: don't you come and try? It? It's fun. All right. So I quit IBM. The people are like, "You're an idiot." <laughs> I mean, you're on a career path at IBM. This is what you know. Back in the '70s, I and mean, that's a good game.
2: Yeah. Right?
1: Um, so three years, I, I left IBM on good terms, and went to law school. And in my summers, my first two years in, in law school, I did go back to IBM and work. The manufacturing today, for that. So, you
2: know,
1: I still had connections at I did. I had no regrets about leaving, and obviously, the path my life took after me.
0: Right. I mean, the path led you here to sitting with me, yeah. your well, son's
1: show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but in all seriousness, when you grow up in a metropolitan area like this, the tri-state area. Yeah. And then you then you try to relocate to a, a smaller an area like strength or Binghamton. You you miss some of the, the cultural events, the social events that you know yeah. that you grew up with. And, and it's fine for a few years. Uh but then you start missing you know, that environment. Right. So for me, the change was good and it worked out. It worked out great.
2: Yeah.
0: Well yeah, I mean very great. So what do you think the most this is this is I'm gonna lay lay one up here for you. So because mom listens to the show. So I'm gonna lay one up here. What do you think the most significant ex- uh, moment of your law school career was?
1: <laughs> you better, well, I
0: mean, you better answer it right.
1: What a softball question. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't the, the JD degree or anything else, right? It was not that. That's where I met mom. So I'm a third year student. Mom is a first year student. And I'm in the cafeteria. And I see this pretty young lady come into the cafeteria and I think I should like to meet her. Yep. So lucky for me, her locker was on the same row as mine, the first floor of the facility. Um, So one day I got up in there, talked to her, and Mm. I asked her out on a date. And that was October of 1983, last year of school. And we were engaged three months later. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were married, October 84. So within 12 months, we were engaged and married. And I graduated um, Western New England, took and passed the bar all 1984. So it was um, that that stretch there, that one year stretch was amazing. That
0: was a, yeah, a pretty significant
1: you need year. One for... of your dreams that you've been married to now for, for thirty seven years, uh, and you know, you graduate law school, you pass the bar. Life is great.
2: Life is great. Yeah. What was the What was the
0: first date? What did you What did you do with mom on the first date?
1: First date, I took her to an Italian restaurant. You know, mom being Italian. Sure. Me, three quarters Italian. So we take her, I took her to an Italian restaurant, we had a fantastic dinner, uh, and you know that was really the first time that we were able to sit down and talk. Yeah. Because, you know, within the halls of law school, you're not really carrying any meaningful conversation. Sure. So, Why are you? The weather's nice. <laughs> uh, so we we're sitting down having conversations and it turns out, you know, lives were pretty parallel. And we got all the same interests and families were kind of the same. So, I mean, it just, it's one of those things where, you know, just click. Yeah. So, you know, from that first date on, it was full speed ahead.
0: Yeah. So um, you mentioned, I mean, obviously, like, the significant part of the story was this year of your life where you you meet mom, you you know, you get engaged, you pass the bar, uh, you graduate law school, you pass the bar, and then you guys get married. Um, this, this like doing the courtship, I guess, for lack of a better word over the course of a year with obviously, you know, was that something that was uh, common in that in those times? Like, was that something that was difficult to explain maybe to both sets of my grandparents, like, Hey, I just met this person. We're going to get married uh, after knowing him for three months.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, on, on mom's side, yeah, what the conversations were there, uh, you know, but I know I, uh, in, in my husband yeah, they're like, well, what are you talking about? i you know well, right. I've known this girl for three months because yeah, I had dated girls and had and, been in relationships for years going steady with different girls yeah uh, and then you know to go from you know dating you know, social level you know, multiple girls you know, to picking one out and go this is the one especially that, in that time period where they're like wait you know you gotta focus on graduating law school yeah studying for the barn taking the barn I mean, what are you doing you know, you're going to be too distracted. Right. Yeah. But you know what? If, if there's a will, there's a way, you know, and and life, you know, has everything planned out for you. And that was just the path that was chosen for a minute. And it just, you know, it just worked.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I, it's, I mean, it's a great story. Obviously i mean. I'm biased, but I think it's a great story and it obviously worked out, you know, so you said 37 years. Right. Um, And uh, I mean, that's just it's incredible. That over right? Yeah. So, um, so you, you guys get married. You're living back in New Jersey. Mom finished up at this at Seton Hall Law School. Um, just because you know we'll, we'll add that in, just so everybody knows that everyone. You guys move back to New Jersey. Um, how did how did you go from law like law school to starting to work in title insurance? Like, That's how did how do you make that jump?
1: That's an interesting story. So we're living in Lodi. Mom got us an apartment walk up blow down. because she was going to Seton Hall Law School. Uh, I was working in Wayne for a small law firm in Wayne uh, doing matrimonial mainly. Matrimonial was not my cup of tea. Yeah. So the guy who owned the firm had a little title agency within the firm that he ran to. so, yeah, you know, I got a taste of title insurance at that law firm. Uh, not that I was ever thinking about that it was going to be my career. Right. Anyway, so uh, mom's mother, your grandmother, uh, was a secretary at Metropolitan Life in New York City. Like that. Um, I think she was a secretary for like an executive vice president. So she said, Well, I can talk to my boss if you're unhappy where you are, maybe there's something that MetLife, life. I said, yeah. I said, okay. So she talked to her boss and they said, no, there's nothing here, but we could you know, have him come in and we'll put him in touch with our general counsel. And maybe our general counsel knows somebody in New Jersey. So I went to the city, met life, and, and met with the, the guy, general counsel. And he says, well, I do know an attorney that does a lot of uh, litigation work for this claims work." Uh, at McCarder in English, uh, I'll reach out to him, see what he knows, and see if he can put you in touch with some. Yeah. See if maybe McCarder is. So I went to McCarter. they didn't have anything. But the, the attorney, uh, David Cobb, uh, he says we don't have anything here. But my brother-in-law is state counsel at Commonwealth, and he just got there from writing. and I think he's looking for an associate So I'll set up an interview. So he set up an interview with Roger Blabelt, who was State Council of Commonwealth at the time, back in 1885, and uh, had the interview. Roger hired me, and that was the beginning of this final insurance career. Right.
0: Yeah, almost 40 years later, right? Did you? I mean, you said like, you had no idea. But at at any point, did you like look at, you know, kind of maybe 20 years in be like, Oh, my God, I've been in this industry for for so long. I mean, obviously, you've held a lot of different positions as agency manager, state council, your regional council now for fidelity, um, you know, and just also bias. But I mean, how many people in the state of New Jersey in the title insurance world have the breadth of experience and you know like that kind of stuff so was there ever a point where you were just like wow th- i've really been in this for a long time
1: uh no um, i think there were points in anybody's career where you get some growing pains maybe and you go well yeah do i really want to keep doing this for my whole career yeah don't want to try something else but then you figure out then then you come to your your senses and you say wait a
2: minute
1: living is, is pretty good I got a guaranteed paycheck, and I don't have to keep you know, hourly logs like they do at law firms. So, um, you know, that's a good deal. There's good benefits, and you know, it's a niche field where there was only a few of us at the time. You know, state councils or whatever we were, you know, coming through for different companies, uh, and we all kind of formed a, a, a friendship. You know, Larry Feinberg, Nancy Cook, and Larry Uzel, all all different companies. Uh, And we kind of grew up together in the field for the last 35, 40 years. Um, And because the field is so narrow in terms of its scope, you can become an expert in the field fairly easily uh, because this is all you do every day. (laughs) Right, right.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, a very interesting way to look at it. And, you know, like I see some similarities, I guess, maybe for me, you know, having Alex and other people that are my age in the, you know, the title world now kind of growing together, especially with clients and all that. So that's, that's definitely a a great way to look at it. Um, that you've kind of come through the business with, with all of these people.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a a concern, a real concern, you know, maybe four or five years ago, you know, that, you know, the the old guard was kind of graying out Yeah, and, and, and who was going to replace it. Uh, but like you said, I mean, there's a bunch of young guys and gals that have now come into the business, especially in New Jersey, that I think that the title business is in good hands. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, I would agree, considering I'm one of those young guys. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, another significant moment in your life was uh, August 3rd, 1990. Could you explain what happened then?
1: August 3rd, did the Yankees play? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes Yankees
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. but, August 3rd, 1990. Yes. Um, the coolest man in title insurance was born. Little did he know. Right. I had no idea. The coolest man in title insurance.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Great day. Great day. Yeah, t- tell me about it. I mean, like you know, uh, it's your first child, right? I mean, granted, I mean, I'm a, I turned out amazing, uh, but uh, what what was what was it? Were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you as a new dad?
1: I didn't have to do much work, Mike. Well, that's know? true. Well, yeah, mom did all the work. Mom did all the work, and uh, apparently, the, your head was too big. Uh, for C <laughs> section, uh, but yeah, it was it was a long night into day in the hospital uh, for your birth um, and you know I mentioned the Yankees because the Yankees were on the TV and uh, when you had gone to Lama's class to, you know to help your wife breathe and you know, push the baby and yeah. uh, the game was on and it's like extra innings and Bobby Mercer is up and I think he hit a home run and I'm watching it you know I'm distracted right. from my Lama's duties and the nurse she was like a Marine you know when you pay attention yeah. to all my hair? Yeah. Do your job. Right. Yeah. yeah. I said, okay. So I went back to my Lama's duties. But you know, that was fantastic. You know, It was a, you know, one of the best days of our lives. And the coolest man in title. <laughs> right.
0: And then uh, three years later, uh, yeah. This, yeah. Then yeah. you have Nicole, my sister. I mean, uh, people know that I have a sister yeah. on the show. So, yeah. So that must have been the second best thing that happened. Well, not second best,
1: you know. Both, one and one A, whatever yeah. you want to call right. it, label it, categorize it. Uh, another great day. Yeah, uh, it was just almost like repeat of the first. I mean, uh, you're watching
0: the Yankee game. You know, There's you're no half
1: Yankee paying game. attention. No, no, there was no Yankee. It was May fifth. No, no, Yankee game don't all. Gotcha. But uh, a great day. Yeah. In yeah. hospital. Chilton Memorial Hospital, where Derek Jeter was born. That's true.
0: Derek Jeter, Mike Ham, Nicole Ham. I mean,
1: that again, that hospital
0: know. has some serious juice falling out of it for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I I I want to take a, a quick minute. We're going to go back to that bodybuilding thing because at some point, uh, you did a bodybuilding show, right? And th- that kind of almost ended the bodybuilding career path, and then you got into powerlifting, which you did all the way through into like your 40s, right? That was kind of the trajectory of that.
1: Well, yeah, I did the bodybuilding thing. It was Mr. New Jersey. I think it was at William Patterson uh, College, the event. Uh, And I I was in law school. I think I was in my first year of law school with that competition. Um, And, you know, I competed naturally, you know, with with no steroids or anything. you, You just can't compete with... You know, guys that are, are choosing. so yeah i knew you know after that competition that you know it was extremely hard to, to get in shape you know, diet wise you know, lifting wise or whatever uh, it, it consumed your life basically yeah i wasn't getting the enjoyment out of lifting weights on the bodybuilding side and then i just started lifting weights just as i had done before when i first started just to lift weights um, and then eventually got into the power lifting well, I wasn't in powerlifting that long, but you're right. When I was 40, I was still tired.
0: Yeah. You won like a like like you won like a state championship, right? Yeah, when you were 40, 40 in powerlifting?
1: Yeah. I won um, the state AAU powerlifting championship at age 40 in the 242 pound fast. Although yeah. I, I didn't weigh 242, but I weighed 228, I think. And uh, the cutoff, it was a 225 pound fast, and I went to 242. So I wasn't oh, wow. about to lose three pounds that morning. Yeah, I What's competed the
0: there.
1: right.
0: You just compete with the big dogs and then crush them. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what you uh, what was like the what put you over the edge? Like what what was the lifts, the Olympic lifts, right? Squats. No. Well, these no. are
1: it's a, either powerlifting or, a, or squat bench and depth. Okay. Yeah, the Olympic is is the clean and jerk. Clean and jerk, right?
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, all right. So I mean, so you do that, also over the course of this time i'm growing up i'm playing baseball you're coaching me uh what was and basically you coached me all the way up through into high school and then we would still play catch and all that kind of stuff even when i got into college you know and turn your hand purple um but uh what what was what was that experience like you're working full time and you weren't working from home i mean people could see you if they watch this on youtube they could see you in your home office right now you weren't working from home. You were working in Wayne, you were working in Hackensack, right. Uh, other places. So you would work all day, come home and then coach baseball. Was that, obviously that had to be difficult. Right. But tell me about that experience.
1: You know what, Um, when I started coaching you uh, and and Nick, um, that replaced the weightlifting, right. So instead of going to the gym at five o'clock, you know, I was, getting on the ball field with you guys. So that was a replacement outlet, you know, for something athletic uh, for me to do. Right. And, and so it replaced weightlifting. You know, it was fun. I mean it, it wasn't hard to do um because it was so enjoyable. But um, you know the only thing is a, a little more traveling obviously. Sure. Rushing back, you can make sure you're on the field of time because you know back in the when we were doing uh, literally there at the quantify there were only a few fields and yeah. a lot of teams and a lot of kids. So if you missed your allotted time to work to that field, you lost it. Right? So you had to make sure you were there on time. And I, at the time, I think my office might have been in, in Island. Um, and then we moved it up to Wayne, but I, I was doing a lot of travel. Right. You know, to get to and from work back to the ball field.
2: Yeah.
0: Which was obviously something that maybe at the time I didn't realize like how significant that was for me. But it was. I mean, it's just looking back now, that was a significant part of my life and, you know, uh, how I grew up, basically, and how I eventually became the coolest guy in title insurance after so, the OG coolest guy in title insurance, Gary Ham.
1: So now you know why when I was yelling, bro strikes, it wasn't because I was frustrated. <laughs> yeah. with you. I was, it was road rage. I, I had a carryover. from <laughs> you.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Like when you gave me this one, this one. This was a classic. This is we uh, got to run a lap, you know. It was just uh, we had a lot of fun times on the baseball field for sure. <laughs> sign language, yeah, right. Sign language. Um, all right, so we're getting closer to the end uh, when we're going to wrap this episode up. So, um, because this is a Father's Day episode, and I know that—I mean, I just mentioned it—how significant, obviously, a part of my life you are. I mean, the only reason why I'm sitting here doing the stuff that I'm doing is because of. You know, kind of the, the life that you gave me. And since we're on the subject of, of fathers, I just want to give you a chance to talk about your father, because I know that he was a significant part of your life. I mean, he passed away when I was eight. Um, and he was a significant part of my yeah. life. That first eight years, I mean, hanging out with him, I remember going to the driving range, and he couldn't hit a golf ball. And I was like, didn't know what the hell was going on. But, uh, but I mean, I even talk about this sometimes too, like going to his house on Saturdays and him making like bologna sandwiches. I mean, I still have a soft spot for bologna sandwiches because of, you know, me, you and him doing those lunches together. So tell well, yeah. me, tell me yeah. how significant of a part, uh, uh, you know, the significance of him in your life throughout your your entire life. Well,
1: you know, I think it goes without saying, you know, he was my idol, right? he, he passed away when he was 66. Right. So, uh, you were eight. Um, of an uh, unexpected heart attack. So you know he was um, when you when you looked at my father, your grandfather, you know back then, I mean, jet black hair, right? You know, trim, maybe five eleven, about one hundred seventy five pounds, uh, always working around the house, doing projects or whatever. Uh, and then he had that heart attack. I mean, it was just uh, a shock, obviously, for us, and, right, and you and me in particular, but. Yeah, because we did spend those Saturdays. Every Saturday, Grandpa says, I'll take you over there. Right. And and he'd make lunch for us. Not just bologna sandwiches, but the hot dogs and eggs. Yep. Yep. Hot dogs and eggs and ketchup on an Italian roll. And then Sunday mornings, we we would go to church together. Right? Three of us. So, yeah, I mean, fond memories, great memories. Great guy.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Do you think that, you know, because you you ever, I mean, I know when you're growing up as like an angsty kid, you know, you're always just like, Oh, I'm going to do things a lot different than, than my dad did it. But then like, as you get older, you're just like, Oh, well, these are all the reasons why uh, he did those things. And maybe I didn't know what the hell was going on when I was a kid, because I was a kid. Did you have those experiences or were were you pretty much like, you know, like this is the guy, I mean, he's no,
1: no, you know, um, my father, his first job, I think, was working in a factory with a Scissor Factory in New um, for a long time. And then, then he got into uh, selling real estate. He was a, a realtor for most of the time I was growing up as a kid, young kid. Uh, and then he got a job at, at, in, in the township of Wayne as the industrial director. Um, so neither one of those three paths or anything that I aspired to, I, I didn't want to work in a Scissor Factory. Right. will be a realtor. And I didn't have any inclination to work in the public life as an employee for, for a municipality. So um, but there was never any, you know, angst or, or, or thought that I had to do something different. Don't forget, you know, being the first one that went to college, I mean, I was on a different path anyway. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, and then once I went to college, I mean, I never went. When I graduated from the University of Scranton, I never came home. I went directly to Endicott, New York. Yeah. And, and, and Then I went directly to Springfield, Massachusetts. So, you know, I never came home, you know, in my early 20s to have any, you know, confrontations or... or some, you know, <laughs> Alpha like, dog situations. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I was just curious. I just because, you know, I mean, like that, that was, I mean, for me, so long ago, I mean, for everybody, I mean, it was almost 20 three, I guess, years ago now, um, which is kind of crazy to think about it in the grand scheme of things. Cause it feels, you know, even for me as a kid, when it happened, like, just like, I mean, I still remember those that day, but, um, but I just wanted to give like you a chance to talk about it because I know that that was, he was a significant part of your life as he was mine and, and everybody else's. So I just wanted to chat about that for, for a little bit before we, before we wrap it up. Um, so yeah, do you have something? Thank you of course of course so uh we're gonna move this and i don't know what we're gonna do for this part but we're gonna move this into our closing segment which we call under the spotlight so i've had my dad gary ham the og coolest guy in title insurance on the show for the last we've been talking for almost an hour i just looked at the clock which usually this happens i go through an entire episode i look at the clock and i'm like oh my god we've been talking for way more than i normally do on this show um but if there's one thing that you want the spotlighters, which is what I call my audience, to walk away from this episode with, what would that one thing be?
2: Nah,
1: it's a tough question.
0: Right? This is a tough question. Yeah. You're asking
1: me to give your, your, your viewers advice.
0: Well, I mean, it could be, it could be anything. It could be just a yeah. tip.
1: It could be anything. a
0: work.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, and and I, I always try to lead my, lead my life this way. Yeah. You know, when, when something feels right, you know, in your gut, you go with it, and, and I say that because you know it, it felt right to leave IBM and go to law school. I, mean, I didn't have any intellectual, you know, thought process that you know said all this, you know, I didn't put write down on a piece of paper, pros and cons. Yeah, it felt right. I went with my gut. Right? Um, with mom, you know, I met mom, and, and after dating for a month or so, I, I said, "This is the woman I want to marry." Yeah. It just felt right and went with it. And then throughout my career, you know, I've been in the business for close to 40 years, but I've worked for various different companies. And, you know, so all those moves took feeling in your gut, you know, that it felt right. And I went with it. Because my theory is you're betting on yourself, right? If you can't bet on yourself to me, then what are you doing? Right. Well, so I always knew that if I if I had made a wrong move, I could always rebound And 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 write the shit. Yeah, that's pretty much the way I've
0: led my career. No, I think that's a great one. Go with your gut and bet on yourself. I mean,
1: right? Yeah, confidence in yourself because uh, if you don't have confidence in yourself, nobody else is
0: Yeah, and then who 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 could you have confidence in if you can't have confidence in yourself? I mean, you got to look out for number one. Not look out for number one, but you know, make sure that you know you know what you're capable of and all the good that you bring to the table for sure. yeah. So, all right. So, this has been epic. I mean, like, I, I know that you were saying before we got on here, you're like, "Oh, I don't know what we're going to talk about." And I mean, we honestly, we could probably. I mean, we talk every day, but we could have done this episode for three, four hours. But we both have jobs, uh, <laughs> so we gotta we gotta go back to work. But um I just want to thank you. We're not gonna give links because if people want to reach out to you, they should be reach- reaching out to me first, anyway. Um, so I will put my links. Yeah, in the
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I'll put the my links, the morningspotlight.com and the morningspotlight at gmail.com are the email address and website for the show. Um, Dad, you know, I'm really excited that I was able to convince you to come on today. Uh, this was amazing. I mean you, you may not know it, but you are a fantastic guest and a fantastic dad. And I was so happy that we were able to put this episode together and have you on today. So I really appreciate it. I love you, and I'm so glad that we were able to to set this up.
1: I love you too, and I'm glad you thought I was a good guest. You had some pretty good guests on here. You know, I 80, eighty guests before me. <laughs> some heavy hitters. That, yeah. you know, listen to most of them. Um, you catch some really good guests on here, so. I'm Just happy to be part of your show, and you know, thanks for inviting me. Of course, and of I'll course. See you on Father's Day.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. We'll listen to this on the porch. We'll have a beer. We'll listen to this on the porch, uh, and we'll be, we'll have a great little a great little Father's Day. Is it? Are we limited to one beer? Or can we, uh, We're probably that's gonna, that's gonna do a couple more than okay, just one. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks. all right, dog. All okay. right, uh, love you, uh, Spotlighters. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the morning spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.